Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Queer Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Luis Cornejo, a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified sex therapist, and co-owner of Psychosocial Therapy, a fully virtual practice in the state of California where I specialize in queer and BIPOC mental health. And today we're going to be talking about breaking the people-pleasing cycle for queer folks. And I have a very special guest who's going to be talking about this topic with me. And I'm going to go ahead and let them introduce themselves. Hello, Luis. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so, so grateful. My name is Martin Diaz. I'm a self-love and empowerment coach. I work mostly with the queer community and particularly with gay men. You know, I've... I know the struggles, I know the traumas, I know that little nagging voice inside your head. So I'm super passionate about the work that I do because I have that connection with it, right? But And that's important. That's yes. super important, as, right, as, to be connected. Mm -hmm, as you know, right? And so I think my mission uh, in life is to connect as many queer people as I can back to themselves. Right, just bringing them back to who they were mm -hmm. when they were little kids, when they were their most pure, authentic, fun, loving selves. Yes, I love that, right, right before all the conditioning and social stuff, right, that comes in. Uh, well, thank you so much for being here, Martin. I, I really appreciate your time and also your wisdom. And, uh, you know, people-pleasing is something that not just queer people struggle with, right? I mean, a lot, a lot of folks, um, you know, deal with uh, what we call people pleasing. Uh, and before we even move on to actually talking about tips or even uh, your, your work, can you uh, give us uh, your definition or, or how you would describe people pleasing for our listeners? Yeah, so I think people pleasing is, is not who you are, right? It's almost like a symptom of something else. Mm. It's, it's the way that your brain is wired. Mm -hmm. And usually people pleasers, or I think that's maybe a newer buzzword, right? Mm -hmm. Many other people might know it as being codependent. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it, it's, it's a symptom of just kind of how you cope with life. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so you, your brain is wired to think of other people and take their considerations and internalize them, mm -hmm. right? And almost you thinking about them before you think of yourself mm -hmm. out of protection, usually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. It sounds like it's more of an outcome, right, of really a strategy for survival. Uh, you know, a lot of people talk about the fight, flight, or freeze, uh, or also uh, fawn response, right, which is usually also associated with people-pleasing, uh, where folks uh, pretty much, at least in the way I describe it, is put themselves out of the equation and prioritize other people's needs and wants first. And, um, you know, this is something that comes up for a lot of folks who usually come in to work with me and share about their own personal struggles with really um, the relationships, right? Because this is relational, right? People pleasing involves other people. Mm -hmm. And usually at the root of it is the desire to avoid either conflict, to avoid discomfort, or simply to want to be loved or appreciated and valued. And so people pleasing, in, in a sense, it, it, it's a way that people cope, right? Like you were saying, it's a, it's a way that our brain is wired uh, to get the things that we need or to uh, gain some type of connection. Um, so it's not essentially, I would say, a bad thing. It, it maybe um, doesn't 
really fully help, I, I guess, when we're talking about relationships, because they're two ways, right? So it's almost like it gets you what you want in a way, but also it comes at a cost. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, 100%. I mean, like you said, it starts in childhood, right? And, and you use it to cope. Mm-hmm. And so as a little kid, you're doing it to stay safe, to feel loved, mm-hmm. to feel accepted, to feel part of the pack, right? Part of your family. Um, but as you get older, there's a price that you're paying. Mm-hmm that you realize because you also pay a price when you're a little kid, right? You sacrifice part of you in order to feel loved. But as an adult, you're sacrificing more of your energy. Mm -hmm. That part of you, I mean, and you feel completely lost sometimes, Mm -hmm. right? Because you don't know who you are. And so as an adult, you're kind of living based on other people's validation of you and just like what they think of you. Mm -hmm. And so... Mm -hmm. It's always, you know, a double-edged sword. Yeah, absolutely. How would you say that this um, differs or impacts queer folks specifically when we're talking about people-pleasing and wanting to belong or be loved or feel um, connected? Well, like I said, it all starts in childhood, right? When you're a little kid and and you either start to feel different or you're your parents start treating you a little bit differently, right, than, say, your siblings or your cousins or teachers, you know, treat you differently than Mm -hmm. other kids in your class. Something clicks in your Mm -hmm. head that, like, oh, my God, who I am is not good. And so I have to change myself. I have to kind of mold myself into a different way in order to feel loved, Mm -hmm. in order to feel accepted, Mm -hmm. um, to survive, right? And so that could range from, like, a simple comment to like a parent being physical or physically abusive Mm -hmm. right and so you want to avoid all of that Mm -hmm. all of that you want to avoid the bullying you know you try to act more masculine Mm -hmm. right you you avoid things that you normally would like Mm -hmm. in order to please other people in order in order to like survive right i mean to make it through to feel like you belong right to feel like you belong but you still pay that price because you're internalizing mm-hmm. that who you are is bad. And so you have to yeah. change it. And I totally resonate with that because I know for me, when I was growing up, I definitely engaged in a lot of people pleasing and it was part of my survival, right? Learning to not just lie or minimize or to completely omit a lot of parts of myself because it wasn't safe for me to be able to express them. Uh, And I share this a lot with my listeners about my uh, own upbringing and a very religious and conservative home. And so there were a lot of limitations. And one of the things that I do remember is using education and my intelligence as a way of making up right for all of these other things that I was really scared would make me not be lovable. And education for me was the way that I people pleased, right? Every time I brought an A home, my parents were super excited and happy. When I didn't, they were disappointed. And so I learned the more I succeed, the more that I please them, the more that they'll love me. And if they ever found out about my, you know, my sexuality, at that point, I didn't even understand it. But if they ever found out that I was different, they would still love me because I had this other kind of like bank of like stuff Mm -hmm. that I was, you know, contributing uh, and that happened for me for a really long time. I mean, I'm, I'm the first in my family to get a, a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, uh, multiple certifications, you know, lots of things that I've done academically that not only um, 
gave me headway into opportunities that they never had, but it also pleased them, right? It made them see some, uh, at least in my mind, there was some worth to me. And then later on that shifted when I met my partner, I came out. I mean, there was a lot that I had to go through and really unlearning and letting go a lot of these of these behaviors that had initially helped me because they felt good. And then eventually they weren't because I didn't really know who I was. I didn't really know what I wanted. I dealt with so many internalized uh, feelings of shame and guilt that often kept me from allowing myself to be who I was. And it took years. It took therapy. It took healthy relationships. It took a lot of tears. It took a lot of work to be able to get to a place where I'm not saying it's not there because I, I definitely still notice it, but I'm a lot better at recognizing it and acknowledging it. And so, you know, for me, that's, I think, people-pleasing. Whenever I hear folks talk about it, um, it, it it's, it's tough, right? Because in a way, it's a sec- almost, like you said, a double-edged sword, right? A security of, well, if I please others, they will appreciate me. They will love me. They will see value in me. And then there's the other side of it. If I don't, I'm risking, you know, being rejected, not being loved. And those feelings are so deep for so many of us from childhood up to adulthood that it's really hard to just be like, well, I'm not going to say, you know, people, I'm not going to people please anymore. I'm going to say no. Uh, It takes a lot to break down some of those walls or even just to get to a place where we can um, challenge it. Yeah. I totally agree. And I resonate with your entire story, right? Um, I'm Mexican. I'm an immigrant. And so there's also that added layer of you want to please your parents. Mm -hmm. You want to make them proud, right? They've sacrificed so much Mm -hmm. to be here. And so, you know, you have to do whatever they say. And that's also even uh, for for people living in Mexico, it's very much in the culture, right? Mm-hmm. The family's number one. Mm-hmm. You always do what your parents say, and you know what they mm-hmm. say goes. Honor your parents, right? Exactly. Like you have to make sure that you're making them proud, or other people are seeing that you're you're a good child, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there's also that, right? Throw that in there, and then you're already feeling different, and it's like, what the hell do I do? Yeah, you know, it's confusing. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. It is confusing. I remember so many moments feeling confused between what I really wanted and what I wanted to say and who I was versus what other people wanted to hear. And even in dating, it came up in everything, which is what I really love about your content because you talk a lot about this too and you share on on, on, uh, on social media and um, you know how this doesn't just go into one area but really splashes over into so many things because I saw this in uh, you know my, my first relationships when I was dating someone and how much I self-sacrificed and the idea that you know, if I do this, they will love me uh, and they will appreciate me uh, to having to let go of that. And I struggled so much with saying goodbye to people, like people that, you know, would leave, right? It was their time, whether we moved in different directions, whether it just relationship was coming to an end. There was this almost um, sense of feeling of ownership, right? Like I did all of these things for you. I pleased you and now you're leaving me. And it was, it was so hard for me to be able to say, it's okay, you know, for this to happen, for people to go, for me to not be, you know, in this space where I'm constantly pleasing and expecting something, you know, miraculous to happen, right? People see it and they and they see worth in me. And so I think all of those things are extensions, right, of people pleasing and how uh, they impact the way that we navigate 
our world. Everything, right? Yeah, that's why I, I was saying it's like your brain. That's just how you function. Yeah. Like you, in your friendships, even friendships, right? With your family, in your love life, at work, with yourself sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like you're always thinking of, okay, you're always super hyper vigilant of what other people are thinking and what yeah. they're thinking of you. And so all of your decisions factor that in. Mm-hmm. And that's like the number one thing, right? Is like, how, am I, how are people going to see me? How are they mm-hmm. going to feel about me? You know, are they going to leave me, right? Mm-hmm. Like you were just saying, like you internalize that. When, when someone, when you ended a relationship, you internalize it, you thought it was your fault, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. We feel unworthy. Mm-hmm. You know? 100%. And that's not, that doesn't feel good. It's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, as you were saying that about what people think, I also thought about my parents. You know, I'm a first generation Mexican Guatemalan. And one of the things my mom would often say to me is, ¿Qué va a decir la gente? You mm-hmm. know, and I, mm-hmm. what are people going to say? And I used to hate when she would say that to me. And at the same time, it had a lot of power because I remember like really thinking like, oh, shit, like what are people mm-hmm. going to say? You know, how am I going to shame my parents? Right. And so it went back into people pleasing, right, behaving and acting in a way that wasn't congruent with who I was. Right. And even as a as a queer person at that point, I had already accepted like, OK, I'm gay. You know, there's, I'm not changing that. But I was also trying so hard to be the kind of gay that was mm-hmm. like acceptable, mm-hmm. right? Like I still have to be masculine. I still have to like talk a certain way. And I remember even practicing my deep voice and trying to just make it through. Yeah, I honestly like I don't, I don't share uh, a lot. I'm, go- I, I'm, I'm hoping through this podcast to do so much more of that because there were so many moments that I still had to really process and make sense of. But I remember sitting there practicing my deep voice and just being like oh you know like trying to sound more like a boy or even dressing more like one or or copying my cousins you know who were more accepted uh and I struggled a lot with it because I remember everything that I did was not okay you know like behavior wise right it it was the way I walked the way I talked the way that I wanted to dress uh everything was often like really nitpicked and so for me it was like well I need to do what they're telling me because if I don't, they're not going to love me or they're going to be embarrassed by me. And so it was, it was people pleasing right there mm-hmm. in those little moments, being a little kid, just trying to figure out what I liked and being told like, that's not for you and saying, well, then I guess it's, I'm not going to do it because they, you know, they won't be happy. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what starts as like, you know, a parent shaming you turns into you shaming yourself. Mm-hmm. So that voice in your head you start to internalize it and you basically like it intercepts your parent. Yeah. So it shames you before you can get to, you know, pick the shirt that you want or go play with a Barbie, mm-hmm. you know, put mm-hmm. some Lisa Frank stickers on your binder. Right, <laughs> <me>. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you're, you're right. It, it, it definitely does show up in, in, I think in our earlier years in, in such a subtle way, but then it definitely becomes deep rooted. Right, like you were saying, a lot of this stuff that we carry on into adulthood, um, you know. And as we were talking specifically about the queer community, I, I know that many of us, even within right the LGBTQ plus acronym, there we still struggle oftentimes, right? Because we all live in the same world, right? A very heteronormative, patriarchal uh, world where there are social norms, right? And even as queer folks, when we reject them. We still struggle, right? Trying to figure out exactly who we are, how to, how to identify. You know, I've had many folks tell me, I don't know if I, if I'm, 
masculine enough or if I'm feminine enough or if I'm supposed to go by these pronouns or that pronouns. And so we're, you know, we still put ourselves in boxes Mm -hmm. and trying to let other people um, make sense, right, of who we are rather than moving away from that because it's so hard, right? I mean, it's still, we're still engaging with people. And so I think people pleasing also comes into play in that way, right, in the way that we allow ourselves to just exist and be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's, you know, when you come out of the closet, there's even more expectations for you on the other side, right? And so that's just the way that the world works. Mm -hmm. They want to kind of categorize you. It's a system that works that's supposed to make everything easier, right, Mm -hmm. for the brain. But, like, if you don't fit into that particular norm, right, or that little box, then you're screwed. Mm-hmm. Especially if you grew up already people pleasing, because you're gonna, you're gonna then feel bad that like, like you said, oh my god, I'm not masculine enough. Oh my god, I dress like this. Should I be dressing like that? Oh my god, am I dancing too gay? Right, mm-hmm. too gay. <clears throat> and it's like, we do this to ourselves, mm-hmm. and it's just all this negative self-talk. It, it, it really, it, it gets you nowhere. Right yeah. at a certain point, you just have to be like, okay, I'm yeah. done. I'm done with this because if not, it's it's a it's an endless cycle, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. you shame yourself and then you try to change, but like it's not who you are, yeah. Right, and I guess that's a whole other topic, like trying to find yourself later in life, like mm-hmm. you were mentioning, mm-hmm. right? Like you grew up trying to please everybody else, you don't really know who you are as a little kid, mm-hmm. right? You kind of lose yourself yeah. to other people's expectations, to other people's opinions, to other people's validation. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, then when you're older, you're still seeking that mm-hmm. from maybe a new community, you know, from work. Um, and so you just have to come back to yourself at some yeah. point. You just have to like, okay, drown out all the noise and be like, okay, who am I for real? Yeah. That's, and it's easier said than done. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, yeah. it, 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 it happens with practice. But essentially, that's what you have to do, right? Is you you have to at some point be like, okay, I'm number one, and it might hurt o- other people, but I've been hurting my whole life, so exactly. <laughs> it's worth it now. You know, exactly, it's like and it does take time and a lot of patience. You know, something you were, you were just saying right now that it really spoke out to me was uh, about how many of us don't actually even get to this place until later on, right? Because we don't really have a choice oftentimes as kids. Well, most of the time we don't, I mean, we don't really get a say in a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, we're kind of just moved around toward around like what social norms are, what expectations of us, you know, gender norms, all this other stuff. And, uh, it it doesn't happen until later on when we're finally like, uh, like there's something that's not making me happy there's something getting in the way right of me living the life that I want and we did an episode here on the podcast called late bloomer queers uh and what one of the things I loved about it was that we had a a bit of a discussion around how many of us are are late bloomers because we don't get a chance to actually reach safety until later on in life where it's okay for us to finally let go of some of these things and really not give a fuck, basically, right? Or start to not give a fuck about what other people think, what other people are putting on us or expectations. And instead, really asking that question that you you, you said so beautifully, who am I, right? Who am I as as a person, as a human? And so 
it does require certain things. And I think that's what can make it very difficult that, you know, most of the folks that I work with, when they come in, we have to go all the way back, Mm -hmm. all the way back to childhood, to early relationships, and really unpack those things before we're even able to move forward and start talking about tips and and actionable steps, right, that they can take. Um, And in your work, you mentioned working, you know, primarily with gay men, but queer folks in general. Mm -hmm. What's been your experience? I mean, can you tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, and obviously we want to keep it uh, private, but any, like, experiences you've had with clients or folks, and how do you approach this? Like, how do you have these conversations with them? Well, I... um I do often end up attracting a lot of people pleasing clients, mm-hmm. right? And so that is the main thing that they um, come to get help from me. Um, basically, you know, I try not to go time travel back mm-hmm. too much, but mm-hmm. just because of the nature of the community and who I'm helping, we always have to go back in time yeah. and, and see where a lot of this stems from before we can even go ahead and, like you said, give them more practical, actionable steps, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we have to figure out why you're doing it, you know, why it's still being triggered inside of you. Mm-hmm. And so it's really I what I teach them in that process because a lot of them kind of already know where it comes from. They've just been avoiding it, is really teaching them to have compassion over mm. themselves, mm. to have patience, right? But also, I want to instill a sense of commitment in mm-hmm. them, you know, because, you know, once they come and reach out to us at that point, they're, they decided that they want to change, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it could have been a piece of content that they saw from us or, you know, whatever it was. Yeah, something called them, right? Mm-hmm. Something drew them in and they're ready in a right. way. Right. And so, but, but oftentimes I find that they're still scared. Right, Th- that inner child kind of takes over, mm-hmm. and so in in my line of work, I'm I'm sure it's the same with you. There's a lot of inner child healing, mm-hmm. right? So we go back in and 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 heal that inner child, or or you know, nourish him or her and mm-hmm. or them, and you know, it's 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 really beautiful mm-hmm. to see, mm-hmm. right? It's it's really beneficial to to, to see how that little kid inside of you is impacting you yeah. today. Yeah. Because all of it, like, like I said, the people pleasing is just a symptom of mm-hmm. something else. It's just how we've coped. Yeah. Usually it's, you know, for, for the queer community, it's shame, mm-hmm. right? We've internalized that shame, which is honestly one of the worst, honestly, I mean, not the best feeling, right? Mm-hmm. I don't like to say good or bad feelings, but it's, it's not enjoyable. We, avo- yeah. we try to avoid it. Um, yet we shame ourselves all the time. Oh, yeah. You yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, shame is very powerful. And, you know, I, I don't like to say good or bad feelings either. I'm very much about feelings being tools and really not many of us are taught how to utilize them. And so mm-hmm. it really depends um, on how we fine tune them, how we also unlearn things about feelings, right? Even calling them good or bad. Like I, mm-hmm. I always tell my clients, look, feelings are feelings. We all feel them. There's no way to get rid of them. They're tools that tell us about our internal and external experiences. And if we learn how to use them, then they will be very beneficial. And mm-hmm. so when we talk about shame, I often tell them shame is one of those feelings that gets molded. Right. It's not like it's we all have shame. 
the difference is that we're all ashamed of different things based on what we were taught mm -hmm. about shame and when to feel it. And so if we learn how to understand shame and know where it's coming from, but also unlearn a lot of what it, the way it was conditioned and instead focus on the values that we hold, then shame is helpful because shame is really that feeling that comes in when we're doing something that doesn't is out of our character, that mm -hmm. doesn't feel right for us. Mm -hmm. The difference is that oftentimes it's shaped by other people's you know, information on what you should yeah. feel the shame instead of our own, right? Mm -hmm. Like I could, my, my shame could maybe be uh, something that I've learned is I love to be in community. I love to help others. And so when I can't, there's shame there, right? Like we're talking about people pleasing. And so it's shifted for me from where I need to make everyone happy to, hey, sometimes I won't be able to. And maybe shame will come in and say, hey, I know this is your value. And I'll just sit there and be like, well, yeah, but there's, there's, different reasons why I can't do this right now. And that's okay. So compassion, like you were saying, right? It's almost like mixed in and using these tools. Uh, so thank you for naming shame and, and for saying that about feelings, because I think a lot of folks really have this idea that we need to avoid uncomfortable feelings. We need to yeah. move, you know, call them negative feelings. Mm -hmm. And the truth is that our emotions are just that. They're a natural part of who we are and they are tools. Exactly. Um, and something that, that stuck with me that you just said is, is we're taught how to use them, right? Or it's handed down to us. And it's exactly that. I think that's also something that's been transformational, not only for my clients, but for me, mm -hmm. is kind of realizing, okay, it didn't start with my parents, right? Mm -hmm. It was their parents and then their parents and then mm -hmm. their parents and it was handed down. And so it took a lot of the burden off, yeah. right? And it takes a lot of, of the burden off of you because then once you're feeling that shame, you think it's you, right? And, yeah. and, um, and then there's some people that will blame the parents, right, mm -hmm. a lot. And mm -hmm. so that's also, you can get stuck in that cycle yeah. as well. But um, just realizing that it didn't start with you is huge, huge. Yeah, yeah I think it, it gives us almost a bit of a, of a relief, mm -hmm. right, of knowing that these things uh, run deeper and that they're not a personal flaw or a personal uh, problem that we hold, but it's really something that we're working through and something that maybe we didn't realize was passed down versus us just in, you know, naturally coming to it. And I think that's really important because it gives folks hope, right? It's mm -hmm. when we're talking about breaking generational cycles, right? Or generational curses or uh, you know, working through intergenerational trauma. I mean, there, a lot of that, is also um, it's also connected right to what we're talking about, like people pleasing and um, a lot of the shame right mm -hmm. that we internalize. So I, I know for me, at least in my work specifically with many queer folks, there, there is that intersectionality right as well when we're talking about being folks of color, but also being queer, but also maybe being non-binary, uh, and so many other factors of our identity that come into play. And for many of us, we don't have blueprints, right? These are things that we basically have to um, figure out on our own, or we like mm -hmm. do it through community. Uh, and so it, it is a journey and it definitely mm -hmm. is challenging. You know, it's not something as simple as, uh, like you said, you, you do. I mean, it's multiple parts to it, right? Either we're going back to the past, but we're also focusing on the present, but we're also 
working through really figuring out who we are, right, and our identity formation. I, I usually call it a, a second uh, adolescence at that mm-hmm. point because it's almost like we're going back through our teenage years, right, re-experiencing ourselves and, uh, and finally learning about ourselves. And it, it, it can definitely be tough. You know, I've worked with many clients who are oftentimes already in established relationships and established jobs, and then they come to this point where they're like, this is not what I wanted and now I feel stuck here and, and and a lot of them go through this very bittersweet process of having to make changes or shifts and it, it's hard you know many of them have to say goodbye to some of their relationships many of them have to leave jobs that they really were not happy in and having to reevaluate and it, it, it oftentimes feels unfair for many of them because it's almost this like, well, now I'm finally getting to decide for myself. Now I'm not doing this because of how people see me. And it can feel, um, I would say, it can feel very uh, intense. Oh, yeah. The brain hates change, no yeah. matter what it is. The brain hates it. So it's always going to feel uncomfortable when you start. Mm-hmm. Even when it's good change, it's still going to feel jarring a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Like taking those first steps where it's like, okay, what do I think first, right? Instead of like (laughs) this other person, like I hate my job, I'm in a shitty relationship, yet I'm feeling bad for taking myself out of the equation, Mm -hmm. which is what I want to do, right? Um, But yeah, it's, that happens to a lot of us. I feel like I took a a sharp turn too. Uh, A couple of years ago, it happened to me, right? I was in a corporate job that was just unfulfilling, but I stayed because it was flashy and like mm-hmm. my parents were proud, you know, and I was making money and you yeah. know, everything on the outside was great. But on the inside, I was like, okay, I can't, I can't keep doing this for much longer. So I remember those times it, it felt really uncomfortable. It took me a long time to quit. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Even after I realized, okay, I got to do something else. It took me like a year and a half to quit. Uh-huh. Yeah. It sounds like there's a lot of back and forth, kind of just deciding whether mm-hmm. to take that step. Yeah, take the risk, right? And most of us, we're often told not to take risk. And you're right. I mean, not even just, I mean, the brain, you're absolutely right, does not like change. I know my parents were so hell-bent on, like, this is the formula. This mm-hmm. is how you're going to do it. And then this is it. You're going to find a good job. You know, well, you're going to go to college, find a good job, meet someone, get married, have kids, blah, 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 you know, and then die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> go to church every Saturday. Right. That was their, mm-hmm. their whole recipe. And, you know, it didn't work for me. And I remember uh, even as a therapist working in spaces uh, where even though I was doing something I love, they were not fulfilling, mm-hmm. right? They were very much rooted in a lot of the things that I was just just not aligned with. Yeah. And it took me a long time too. I remember uh, when I was still working at Kaiser, I was, I was sitting there one day thinking like, I should just go into private practice. Like this mm-hmm. is, you know, I've been working for other places for so long and always by their rules, by their expectations. And I, I just hate it. I remember feeling burned out. I was... Mm-hmm emotionally exhausted, unfulfilled. And this all happened during the pandemic, which is so interesting because it was actually also the catalyst for me really coming into my queer identity and really embracing it as a whole. And so uh, most folks who know me, they'll, they'll look back and like three years ago, like I was not who I am today. And it, it feels so fast paced. Even my partner this morning was like, wow, was it really three years ago you started like mm-hmm. doing it? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, it feels like it was so like, fast like it just happened yesterday and I was like yeah I'm like you know I think it's because I'm actually enjoying my life I Mm -hmm. think maybe it's because I'm actually really embracing 
so many things that I didn't before because I was so scared, right, about what my parents were going to think, about what other people were going to think, my mentors, my bosses at work. And during the pandemic, I had so much time to think, and I realized that I was not happy. I was not happy going to work, dressed up, you know, looking like one of the therapists on TV. <laughs> I was not <laughs> happy working with the clients that I was being told I had to work with. I was not happy with the way that uh, my ideas were constantly pushed down because, you know, they weren't rooted in what folks would consider like evidence-based practices or this or that, right? I was coming from a more indigenous lens, from a more cultural perspective, mm -hmm. from things that I learned in other spaces where healing wasn't just seen as, you know, medical model, right? Or like something's wrong with you. Mm -hmm. And so I remember that moment thinking like, I can't do this anymore. Like this is affecting my health, my mental health, physical, um, my relationships. And it was so scary to take that risk and just think like, shit, am I really going to leave this job where I'm making six figures, where my insurance is so great, where I have job security, where I work in a really beautiful facility to be me? And I was mm -hmm. like, ah, like, you know what? Everything that I've been told has said to me, don't take that risk because it's not safe. And honestly, looking back, the last two years that I've been in private practice have been the best for me. You know, I maybe not be making like all the same amount that I was making then, but I've learned to value time mm -hmm. so much more because I appreciate it now. I don't feel like I'm in, I'm in a rush for anything. I feel like I'm just enjoying my day to day. I get to go have a coffee. I get to read books. I get to sit with myself. And all of that was honestly in part thanks to one, having a supportive partner, two, having gone through so much personal internal work and being able to finally say like I need to like please myself you mm -hmm. know and like not just other people mm -hmm. and I need to start taking myself into this equation and it made a lot of difference it, I'm not saying it was easy because oh my gosh there were days where I was like ah did I make a mistake should I have gone yeah. back should I apply mm -hmm. to Kaiser again and there were moments where I was just like you know what like things are just okay and that's fine that's that's good for me you know like i'm not used to okay and peace i so yeah. used to <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. it's a learning curve right i had the same thing i had so many times where i was like oh my gosh did i make a mistake it's like i missed a steady paycheck yeah. you know what i mean like i miss like my every two weeks if we yeah. deposit it but it's just there's no comparison to the kind of freedom and like you said inner peace that you have by following your heart, by, mm -hmm. by being true to yourself, mm -hmm. right? And it's, it's, it's like kind of what I was saying at the beginning that I help clients with. You came back to who you always were, yeah. right? Yeah. Like you found yourself again. That, yeah, absolutely. I love that you said that because whenever I think about it, my big, when, you know, when folks ask me like, oh, like how are you doing this work or what's helped you? I always say, I just go back to when I was a kid and I'm allowing myself mm -hmm. to do all the things that everyone told me I couldn't. Mm -hmm. You know, I was that kid that played with bar my cousin's Barbies and dressed <laughs> them up in toilet paper and made dresses. Yeah. I was that kid that loved watching novelas for the fashion and just for the style. I was that kid that loved, uh, you know, really hanging out with the girls because they would mm -hmm. talk about things that I was really interested in. But I often kept myself from it because of the, what we just talked about, right? And so it was always like, I have to put this on hold. And so in a lot of ways, I told my partner, it also felt like I was a kid again. Mm -hmm. Like I was going back to this space in my life where I didn't have all of these limitations 
that were inserted, you know, by everyone, you know, society, parents, religion, all these things. And instead kind of really thinking for myself, like, what is so wrong about wanting to be creative? What is so wrong about wanting to feel good in this way? And obviously, you know, it's a learning curve, like you said, even through that with identity. I remember uh, starting out with makeup and I always wanted to try it. And I remember seeing all of these influencers thinking, oh, my God, they're so amazing. They're so great. And like me thinking, I can I can never do that. Like, that's just something I'm not going to, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm just I can't like it's so many inner critic voices right coming mm-hmm. out. And then eventually when I finally gave myself permission, I remember going to the store and buying like 20 lipsticks, mm-hmm. trying on all the colors at yes. home. Some were hit, some were misses. And I was like, OK, you know what? This is this is cool. I remember like uh, just kind of laughing to myself, thinking like, well, you know, this is this is that play part. Mm-hmm. Right. The play yes. part that you yeah. didn't really get. And now I have my own preferences, things that I like, styles, uh, things that I really connect with. Mm -hmm. And it took exploration. It took play. It took going back to who I was, like Mm -hmm. you said, right? And really Mm -hmm. figuring out um, how to reparent myself in those ways. And instead Mm -hmm. of... You know, the, what, and, and, and I want to just clarify because we were talking about parents and you even mentioned the anger towards parents. It is very real. Mm-hmm. So many of us carry that anger and resentment towards our parents. And for me, all of it is valid. I think that we need to see things from multiple perspectives, that multiple things can exist. We can absolutely be angry and upset, right? Because it, it, may, it may have felt like a betrayal or um, it hurt. And also at the same time, we have to remember that we're adults now too, and we do have power, Mm -hmm. right? We're not in that space anymore. And so reparenting to me has always been really more about, can I give myself permission to do these things and not have to put in the, the, the shaming and the Mm -hmm. guilting and the, you know, other behaviors, right? Many of our parents got from their own parents and vice versa, right? Around how we get things, the guilt tripping, the manipulation, you know? And instead be able to be curious about it and actually be that parent that I needed, you know? Um, My mom and I were actually very, very close. And so I was the one that did a lot of shopping with her. So Mm -hmm. I was always the one helping her pick out dresses for church, helping her pick out curtains to decorate the house. And those were the ways that I was actually able to really survive in that mm-hmm. sense, right, outside of the people pleasing, where I got a chance to really do things that I loved. And it was okay, you know, mm-hmm. because my mom was saying it was okay. Uh, and she got a lot of slack for it, too. And so I always laugh because I, I, it, it's so interesting how our parents play such a pivotal role and we're always going to have so ma- a, a very complex experience with them, right? Whether we feel mm-hmm. close to them or not, whether there's pain, joy, love, you know, even hate, whatever it is. Um, it, I, I just always find it so fascinating because I think back to my parents and I'm like, wow, I, I, at that point, I never realized they were people too. You know, they were yes. messy humans too. Mm-hmm. And now when I look back, I'm like, oh my God, like I, I, I you know, I, I, I just, I think that gives me some empathy for them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And and more often than not, they're they were young. They're young. Oh, right? When yeah. they had me, my mom was twenty-four. A child. That was twenty-two. <laughs> child bride. <laughs> <laughs> that's no, that's super young at this think point. Think about it now. now, right? And I think my, of myself at twenty-four, I'm like, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. It was it's kids raising kids. Yeah. And so but it does take a lot of work to get there, mm-hmm. right? Because I feel like everybody goes through, it's like the, the five stages of grief. You go through stages mm-hmm. of that relationship mm-hmm. with your parents. Um, and there's a lot of anger, for sure. 
and resentment and, and all those uncomfortable feelings. But at some point you have to realize, hey, they were, they were they're humans too. Mm-hmm. You, we see them as this, like, as an archetype of the, our yeah. parent, right? But like when you're really able to see them as a human, then I think that shifts yeah. a little. Um, and also able to, when you're able to see that they didn't just mm-hmm. learn it out of thin air, right? Like it was yeah. taught to them and every, you know, generations back and everybody thought they were doing the right thing. Yeah. Right. Everybody thought that that's, that's the way life was. Absolutely. And they also carry that burden on their own shoulders. You know, I remember asking my mom once like, mom, if you didn't come from Guatemala, what would you have wanted to do? And she was like, oh, I would have wanted to be a hairdresser. Like, I would have loved to do people's hair. And the funny story was when we were little, she used to do our hair. Mm-hmm. And I was one of those kids that wiggled around a lot. And so she accidentally cut my ear once. And oh. after that, she never did hair again. And I just remember feeling so bad thinking like, you know, like, oh, this is something she really loved. And, and you know, obviously I, I, I didn't take it as it was my fault. It was, it was mm-hmm. obviously an accident. But it was just interesting because whenever we would talk about that story, she would laugh and she would always say like, yeah, you know, I never really, I didn't get to go to beauty school and that would have been my dream. Mm-hmm. And now when I look back and, I, and, and especially present day when I see her and I think about how she used to be versus how she is now, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like if there's something that is so interesting about her parents aging and coming almost to this realization on their own. Because now my mom will tell me, like, you need to live your life, which mm-hmm. she never said to me. It was yeah. always like, you need to, like, do good and be, you know, she still is very religious. But her tone and her way of just being a parent has shifted so much. Mm-hmm. And I always find that fascinating because it, it's almost like I sense some type of realization for her as well around the way that she interacted in her relationships, the way that she had all of these worries and anxiety around what other people thought about her, our family, uh, you know, about my, my dad, and how that's shifted so much. And, you know, I work with a lot of clients who do have older parents, and they'll often share with me their relationship has shifted so much, and yet they're still working through a lot of the resentment. And there's a lot of anger, and you, you said it beautifully, the grief, right, the stages of grief. Um, I have clients who share with me like, you know, it's, it's so different. And yet I still hold on to these things because they happened. Mm-hmm. But I, I also see them and talk to them and they're not that person anymore. And there's anger and there's like a sense of loss because of all that people pleasing that was going right. on for so long. And mm-hmm. then you get to this place and you're like, oh, now you're giving me what <laughs> I need. Like what? Like I'm so upset about, you know, it's, and it's such a valid, I think, experience for, for so many of us. And, um, and I'm bringing that in because I think it's important to see how this, this is very generational. Mm-hmm. And just because, you know, our parents say these things, it doesn't always mean that they believe them. You know, these were things that were given to them on how to yeah. survive and how to mm-hmm. really work through life. And we all fall for it. I mean, that's why we're having this talk, right? Because recovering people pleasers, yeah. right? We're, <laughs> we're talking yeah. about how it, it, the, this is also a norm right in society around pleasing others and being seen in a certain way to survive socially um because we know right and and the queer community especially the queer community knows that when you're different you're not embraced you are Mm -hmm. we are constantly rejected by Mm -hmm. society i mean we see it in politics every day we see it on the streets when we're out there we see it when we just don't look act or even exist in the same way as other people there is rejection and so we often have to work through that and Mm -hmm. it's it's not always with the patience and grace that it's required right sometimes it's just being hurtled into these spaces because we we just can't 
breed being in, in, in not being ourselves. Yeah. Um, you know, it has in a way gotten easier, but in a way it's a lot of it is still the same. Yeah. Right. Um, I think a lot of it has to come back to how you create that inner safety within yourself and that resilience, right? Because what you, we don't have that really growing up. A lot of us don't have that safe space with our parents, right? And and again, like we said, not their fault, mm-hmm. totally, right? Um, but then you're, you grow up feeling alone and, and like you said, you see it in politics, you see it on the street, you see it on the internet, you know? all over the internet. And so you really have to reinforce within yourself who mm-hmm. you are, that there was nothing wrong with you, that you know you really have to prioritize your needs. And so Absolutely. It's, it's, it's constant work sometimes, right? Because we're never 100% healed, right? It's, it's, a, it's a spiral, right? Like healing is a spiral. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's not linear, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to go through ups and downs. And, you know, this is what I often tell clients when I start working with them is this process, although beautiful, is also messy mm-hmm. and it does not go in a straight line. You will come back to feeling some of these things. And I, and I tell them, but that is the work because mm-hmm. you're coming back with a different lens. At least my hope is through our work, you will come back to this, but you will be more equipped to really work through it. And so a lot of them are like, oh, my gosh, okay, yeah, let's do it. And they see it, you know, I mean, because I've had clients who share with me, I went through that, I went to that place again, but I got out. Mm-hmm. And it felt good to know that I went there and I was like, I can, I can also, you know, work through this. Mm-hmm. And so that makes a major difference, you know, and I think for a lot of folks is really being able to trust in the process and actually see it. Mm-hmm work for them you know in 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 maybe not in the magical way we might see in movies (laughs) right where everything is perfect but in the way where it's like oh shit like it's uh, it's it's better right right and i think that's that's one aspect of of our work that's so important right we're putting ourselves out there and sharing our story to first show them that it's possible Mm -hmm. to have to make them believe right that they can get through it yeah right and so that to even give it a shot to, to, to try it for themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Martin, thank you so much for being on the episode today and for chatting with me about this. Um, is there anything that you'd like to share with our listeners or the how, uh, and especially how they can like learn more about you, any websites, uh, social media or books or anything that you want to share? Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I had a blast. It was great. Um, my, both my TikTok and Instagram are at I am Martin Diaz. Um, and if anybody is interested in working with me, I will have two spots opening up in August and one in September, uh, for one-on-one coaching. And, you know, I just want to tell to everybody that's listening out there is just listen to your heart, right. And, and play a little bit more like you mentioned earlier, just like have fun. Yes. Fun. Yes. Like true fun. Not like what you think other people think are fun, <laughs> not but like, uh, you know, like yeah. what you want to do. Yeah. Just do that. Do a little I, bit more of that. Absolutely. Thank you for those beautiful words. You know, baby steps, right? Everyone, mm-hmm. this is really coming into new territory. It definitely involves a risk. It definitely is different. It definitely takes time, but it's worth it. And, you know, even for me, uh, I'm still 
work in progress and it's going to be forever and I'm fine with that because at least now it's on my terms so thank you Martin again for those wise words uh, like always I will be adding all the info Martin shared in the description so you can find them so don't worry about going back and uh, replaying it uh, you know to get the, the 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 name right or anything it'll be on there uh, until next time everyone and thank you again for tuning in to the queer magic podcast <laughs>